part of comedy, I think the most important part is understanding different people's perspectives and being able to laugh about it. Why should we be counseled for, for speaking out those funny moments or even laughing at those funny moments? That's, that's like crazy. It's so exciting. It makes everything worthwhile and such a payoff. The community, I love the comedy community. It's just a lot of joy having that community, that's all I can say. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. Kelsey Borlin Lee and Robert Lee are talking to us about comedy, their work with Love After Dark, and their thoughts on cancel culture. Robert Lee has thousands of music cue placements on various shows on the NBC Universal, Fox, and Viacom networks. He has produced, collaborated, and played keyboards for artists such as Casey and the Sunshine Band, New Zealand's award-winning vocalist Aratna, renowned R&B hip-hop producer NG1, and many more. Robert is co-owner of Creative Studios Los Angeles. Kelsey and Robert work together as co-executive producers of comedy series and current live shows, Laugh After Dark. Kelsey Bolin lee is a brand strategist, producer and director with nearly 20 years of experience behind the camera as photographer and later cinematographer. As branding and visual communication expert, Kelsey has developed brands such as Living with Lee of ABC's The Fab Life with Tyra Banks, Chrissy Teigen and Joey Z, and partnered with the Annenberg Space for Photography to commemorate the opening of Lauren Greenfield's acclaimed exhibit Generation Wealth. Kelsey has also collaborated and created contact for brands such as Netflix, Fuse, The Olympics, Visa, Mastercard, Green Dot Bank, Darling Magazine, Giving Keys and more. Welcome, guys. How are you? Good. Amazing. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing great. So, oh, my God, you have a great, I mean, what you do is amazing, both of you. And you both live in Vegas. And, and tell us about, first of all, let's start about Life After, Laugh After Dark. What, what is that and how did it start? So Laugh After Dark is, it's our baby is what we always say. <laughs> we love it so much. Um, it's a stand-up comedy TV show turned live Vegas show. So we started it back in 2018 in Los Angeles. Um, we produced our first two seasons out of our loft in LA. And then um, we ended up moving our family to Vegas about three, four months before the pandemic hit. And we were slated to film our third season the week the pandemic hit. So we had to pull the plug on that. And ultimately through the collective, you know, that we all are part of, but with our podcast production and things like that, we were introduced to um, Notoriety, which is where we have filmed our season. And it's just sort of taken off from there. We were offered the opportunity to open a live weekly show and we've definitely just grown from there. So it's been a really exciting year. Amazing. And like, how do people come in and like you select the people that, that, that sort of perform there? How does that work? Yes, I, uh, we do have a, a submission process. Um, you can go to our website, laughafterdark.com, and, and um, find that information there. Other than that, we have a huge network of, of comedians that we work with and that we book here locally, which has been very, uh, very fun. <laughs> Ah, so cool. It's funny that you say notoriety because we just did a conference and I used 
notoriety by reference from a friend as a venue for a, a small performance we had. It was the, on, the conference was online, but we needed a live space for them to do it. And they were awesome. It's a really cool space. Yeah. Nice. Cool. <laughs> so tell us the, the difference between producing a TV show versus a live show, like what you're doing in Las Vegas now. So wh- what was the, what was like that transition like? Realistically, it actually wasn't a huge transition. Honestly, we were always inspired by Laugh After Dark because, um, again, though we went into it to produce a TV show, we realized with the very first taping that we were also producing a live show. And we have a huge background in events. We, Out of that same loft, we were producing supper clubs and concert series and workshops and all kinds of things. So, you know, when Laugh After Dark, you know, was presented as doing stand-up comedy in the space, it definitely made sense to us. And so we always wanted to make sure that our audience had a great time. And that's really what we kind of brought to Vegas is really just that same thing. Honestly, the biggest difference more or less is whether or not the cameras are rolling. Otherwise, people actually have a really similar experience and we try and keep it really, you know, keep that energy up either way. Yeah, I mean, comedy is some one of those things that like it can be viewed on television without too much of a shift really doesn't and, and vice versa. It's something that can be appreciated in, in both ways. I mean, how many times do people get on YouTube and watch comedy stuff for a light relief during the day? I know I do sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And I'd say the only real difference there is like there are certain things we've decided don't translate as well, like a bunch of crowd work. You know, it's like those things don't translate as well. But as long as people are just delivering their content, it really is pretty straightforward, like you said. Absolutely. I like to add that we, when we shoot Laugh After Our Film it, we want to make sure that we capture that club vibe. So our shows aren't really like overly produced with jibs and swing, all these crazy shots. We want, when people watch it on television, we want them to feel as if they're there at notoriety with us. So we like to shoot low and, and just, you know, capture what that atmosphere is going to be like if you were there right there in the audience. And you also have a, an interesting point of view because you believe on sharing your profits with your staff and crew. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your policies and politics on that. I wouldn't call it necessarily like profit sharing per se, but we try and lead the way that we we follow the golden rule, right? You treat people how you want to be treated. And so for us, that very much extends to our community and our comics are our community. So for us, we want to make sure that we're always paying people a fair wage for their time, that we're paying people promptly. And historically, since 2018, when we started, we every season that we produced, our rate has gone up, right? So we started literally like the loft was our living room, <laughs> you know? So there wasn't a huge budget for the first couple of seasons. And then um, as we've grown again, it's just kind of gone up. So it's less about profit sharing in a really, you know, specific way and more about sort of like this energetic exchange of just wanting to create a very equitable culture. We try and keep things as standardized and and just the same across the board so that again everybody's treated the same. We don't want comics feeling like they're being treated differently or getting a different deal or things like that. So we really try and keep as much integrity as possible with that kind of thing. So, you know, less profit sharing, more just trying to do the best we can. That's really good because I think, you know, especially through the pandemic, the industry has been hit so hard and, you know, for people to still be able to come back and get something for for what they do, it's just really admirable to keep that that running given given the current circumstances of COVID, right? 
Honestly, our community was hit so hard. I think that anybody who was a live performer like was hit the hardest. And you got to think performers are performers. You can't perform that much without an audience. And so comedy, you know, was really impacted. And so I feel like everyone did the best they could with Zoom shows and things like that. But it really is cool to see everybody back. And there is like this beautiful energy that is in the room because I think everyone's just so happy to be there. Mm. So the big topic, which is a lot, and I've watched a few things on cancel culture um, recently. It's big. It's a big discussion in America right now, right? And and a lot of comedians have been pulled into that discussion and cancelled. And and it's such an interesting sort of, I guess, uh, dichotomy for me between what people are allowed to say and what people get offended. So I'd love to hear your insights on cancel culture and comedy because this is. This is where that conversation is at right now, right? Yes, I mean we we don't censor and we don't feel the need to. We don't feel the need to cancel anybody um, ourselves. Uh, we we believe in free speech. You know, we may we all don't agree on everything, and we shouldn't have we shouldn't agree on everything. So, I mean, our my stance is: I mean, you say what you're going to say. If, if the, the audience will 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 dictate that future. You know, if you're if, if that material is funny or not, but but I really don't personally. People should be, you know, exiled, canceled because of uh, something they whatever they believe in. Now, there's a difference if it's if it's hate speech, then then that's that's something different here. You know, that's a different discussion. You know, if you're going out and you're rallying rallying up people to to hurt somebody or or whatnot, that's a different discussion. But um, but thoughts of what you may think, I, I just don't just don't believe in that council culture and that. And to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying too, Rob, you know, I think it's also taking action, right? So if you're either rallying others and like truly having like, you know, negative intention with what you're saying, right? There's one thing. And then the other thing is if you're taking action, like if you're an active racist, you know what I mean? That's very different from making a joke about race or race relations, things like or, that. Or yeah, cultural differences, you know, that at the end of the day, it's mm-hmm. just making fun of culture. We're all different, right? We, we have all these different backgrounds and, and it should be, my background should be a little bit funny and your background should be a little bit funny. You know, it's people have been laughing forever with these kind of things. And, and now people want to be, get serious on, on, because you laughed at something that might be, I don't know, slightly, I don't know what you want to call it, slightly racist or, or maybe even just making fun a little bit, you know, just having a little fun with, uh, with these cultural differences or whatnot. I wonder if kind of talking about what comedy is and what makes up comedy, because there's this thing about being lighthearted and being able to laugh, in my case, primarily about myself. But then there is some kind of acknowledgement and analysis. There's a process that, to my eye, I'm not the comedian, but that happens there, that it's a an intellectual and cultural realization of where you stand on and how you face the world. And then comedy, to me, invites this dialogue and this analysis. But I don't know if it would be easier or better for the conversation if you guys were to Maybe tell us what comedy is, what makes a comedy and a comedian, and maybe why is that canceling, that freedom of speech problematic? 
I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, to be honest. I absolutely, like, that's absolutely how we see comedy. I don't know if I can speak for everyone, you know, and how they see it. But for us, you know, the reality is we're not comfortable with or understanding of or even in agreement with every single thing that even is said on our stages, right? Part of comedy, I think the most important part is understanding different people's perspectives and being able to laugh about it. One of the things that um, our host, Charlie, will say sometimes on the shows, which I love, is he says, if we can laugh together, we can live together. And I really do think that's true. Another one of our comics said, you know, comedy is kind of a self-policing industry in that if someone's funny, they will get the laughs and their career will continue to elevate. If they're not funny, they will not get the laughs, right? Something else I, I sort of think about a lot is the idea that there are different ways to execute touchy content. And I think the best comics, the Dave Chappelle's of the world, right? And definitely some of our comics as well can approach those conversations in a way that sort of is like a backdoor approach, right? Where they can help you, they catch you off guard and they made you laugh about something that maybe if it had been an actual conversation would have put you more on guard. And so it's like, But not every comic is going to be the best of the best. Not every comic is going to have the most eloquent way to like lure you in and things like that. Everybody's on their path and they're developing their skills. And I just don't think it's fair or right when somebody literally is processing sometimes trauma, sometimes grief, sometimes just their own experience and to cancel them over it. You don't have to laugh. You don't have to think it's funny. You don't have to come see them play again. You don't even have to be in the room if you don't want to be. We've had people leave shows. I mean, it's not very common, but it has happened when people feel offended. And I feel like that is that is even an appropriate response. Maybe it's not the ideal response, but I do feel it's appropriate, right? You are saying, I'm uncomfortable, so I'm going to leave. Not, I'm uncomfortable, so you need to change. And I feel like that's the biggest problem with cancel culture, is it sort of takes the good intention of saying we should hold truth, you know, truth to power, right? Speak truth to power. And and it takes a step too far and says, well, everything should be different so that I can feel comfortable. And I think it's important for us to figure out how we as individuals can feel comfortable and navigate tricky waters and learn how to disagree with each other. And and what better way than comedy? Mm. And what did, what did you think about then the, the Dave Chappelle sort of firestorm and his... It was he was commenting on um, his main jokes about transsexuals? I think I believe that was the situation where people were offended by it, right? Like, and he got a lot of blowback. What do you? How do you guys feel about that? I mean, which special that is? <laughs> I think. I mean, the most recent special that he that he did, the last night of Swamp. I felt honestly he was giving a masterclass. End of the day, he was speaking. He was lecturing about just lecturing how he didn't drive that woman to her suicide. It it was her own, you know, essentially her own community that did that. So that, um, I think that was, could have been very offensive, you know, to that community. (laughs) So to to say, but I don't think he was, I I don't think it was for me, all that. I just think he was just giving a masterclass really. It was just, just talking you know, given his own experience. I didn't find it. I Honestly, I didn't find that, that part like typically funny. I wasn't laughing. I was listening. I wanted to hear what he had to say. So, and of course he got a ridicule for it, but not really, but sort of. Yeah. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. I think it's really interesting because I think there's that and um, one that I found quite profound for me 
what's the the New Zealand comedian? Um, oh yes, I heard about that. Yeah, I heard uh, about Hannah that. Gadsby. Yeah. Um, and that was a really, you know, you talked, uh, Kelsey, about people going through trauma and healing and, and what I, what's amazing for people who are comedians to just pivot that, not only educate an audience, but do it in a funny way, but also be profound and perhaps political and perhaps, and I, I think for me that's just the talent of, of some comedians to be able to wrap that all into, I guess, an easily swallowable um, statement about life and uh, you know, people's personal stories and empathy, but in a way through laughter, is, is a, it's, it's just a beautiful medium for, for people to communicate that. And I heard an analogy recently, which I kind of liked, because back in Shakespearean times, the jester was always the one that would make fun of the king. And it was the one that had permission to make fun of the king. And in a way, that's what comedians, they make fun of the, the the politics or the prime minister and they have given permission. But it's also an avenue for truth, right, because where other people can't necessarily say it without being, you know, offended or politicised or whatever, the jester is the one that can speak truth and make people see things in a different way. And I And I really love that analogy because I think a lot of comedians feel that responsibility lately um, especially with a lot of polarization in um, America and also the idea of cancel culture and it's more interesting and I kind of wanted to ask your opinions on this because there's been it feels like for me but again on the I'm on the other side of the world through say the Trump presidency and all of that there was a big rise in you know those nighttime show comedians uh, who run the evening shows and they're you know they got really involved and they, they spent a lot of time talking about politics and and making jokes about Trump and 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 people that in that some for some people that became their news is that mm-hmm. was that your perception yeah i mean it, i mean honestly it was really funny there were some funny moments in, in the presidency. And oh, my God, I, yes, there was. I think, uh, I think it was worth laughing about. There's some funny moments in this presidency, for, for God's sake. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think, I mean, why why should we be counseled for, for speaking out those funny moments or even laughing at those funny moments? That's, that's like, crazy. I mean, you know, one thing that actually came to mind is, like, I can't remember who it was, but there was an awards some some award show and there was a comedian who was the host and he cracked a joke about Harvey Weinstein and the casting couch right and everybody laughed so what is that so what is that kind of like where is that boundary at now you know what I mean like is everybody who laughed about that uh Harvey Weinstein joke was that should everybody who laughed be canceled you know let's be real yeah it's like where's the line where's that line you know so and I think that's the trouble And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. 
Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. It makes me want to ask, well, to me as an outsider in this culture, it sounds a little bit too the other side of intolerance or like the two sides of intolerance, if you will. But I don't know. I don't know what is like from the inside of this culture in your case, what is this cancel culture reflecting and what does this mean to the broader community? Oh, that's so deep. What a great question. I think this is my opinion. I think it's a pendulum swing. I think that, you know, for since I think when you zoom out and look at America, right, at the end of the day, America was founded by religious zealots, right? The Puritans were literally people who said, I want to live my faith in the way that is most aligned for me to the point that I'm willing to break away from tradition and go fight for myself to have that, right? And and we've developed as a culture from essentially this foundation of, of religious, dogmatic, beliefs, right? And I think that those beliefs have been more ingrained in our culture than most people are really aware of until the last few years, right? And I think that what it is, is I think there's this phrase that I've heard that says something along the lines of, you, you know, you have a problem when equality feels like oppression. And so what I feel like has happened is that because we come from this place of, you know, you America, you know, was like, you have to fit into the box, right? If you follow the rules and you fit in the box, you can fit into our society. But anyone who's been ever been outside of the box, anyone who's ever felt like an other has always felt like, well, if I'm not, you know, beautiful, thin, fit, healthy, rich, happy, successful by, you know, all of these being outside standards, then where do I fit? And so I think what's happened is you know, historically, those have been more right-wing, conservative types of narratives. And I think that they've been a bit commandeered, but also just the reality that people are now saying, no, we want to break free from that. So I feel like what's happening right now culturally is we're having this pendulum shift. And, and the funny thing about pendulums, right, is that you kind of go from one extreme to the other, and we're sort of hitting this other side right now. And hopefully, we'll be able to land somewhere more where we don't have to pick a side, where we're not either this or that, but we can actually listen to one another and be able to recreate and rediscover and make common ground again. That's my hope and take on on our culture right now, but I tend to be a bit of an idealist, so (laughs) we'll see how it all pans out. What about you, Robert? Oh, I mean, everything Kelsey said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening to to her preach. I mean, that's that's all like... That's all music to my ears, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm in the moment. <laughs> so it's it's interesting because you have very varied backgrounds in the entertainment industry. So what drove you to become comedy producers? Do you also do comedy yourselves? How no. That, no? Not at all. I do comedy <laughs> in a way of producing it, you know, and that's that's my lane. Mm. We, we backed up into it, you know, basically. We had a, like, I think Kelsey mentioned before we had this uh, studio um, loft in in North Hollywood, and we threw a lot of different events, and we were very social. We did supper clubs and cocktail parties and coffee and pumpets or whatever parties or whatever. And so, like at during one of those functions that we had, a comedy producer 
and uh, his wife, who's a comic, he, they approached us. They said, this is a very beautiful space. Uh, I think we can do some comedy in here. I think it'd be a great space for stand-up comedy. And we said, okay, I guess. <laughs> you know, we weren't in the game at that at that point. And um, and we trust the process. And we said, well, let's let's just do it. Let's let's, let's produce a a comedy a stand up comedy show here at the loft. And um, from then we just love. And it it was a bit of a oh sorry it was a bit of a, a sidestep for both of us too. Where Robert's background is music and that side of production, and my background being more visual communication, photography, things like that, getting that space and starting to do production work, which ultimately led to Laugh After Dark, was really a sidestep for both of us. Where, um, you know, my photography turned into videography, and um, his music turned into sound, and then we kind of pulled my branding, you know, kind of came in, and so it was really just that's the culmination, really of like laugh after dark is that culmination of everything that Robert does and everything that I do kind of coming together. And then we comics are our muses. <laughs> comics are amazing. And I, I think that's actually, we talk about this sometimes. I, I think that's a bit of what sets us apart in the industry right now. And maybe part of what's contributed to our success is that we stay in that lane, like Robert said, of, of producing. And so we're able to empower comics to go have the best show of their life rather than you know most comedy shows are actually produced by comics for comics and so they end up spending a lot of time you know they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off they're making sure people are there they're making sure people are taken care of they're making sure comics get on stage and then if they get that stage time you know hopefully their mind is able to kind of come into the moment but um we really appreciate being able to just let the comics do their thing and and just stay, stay in our lane too yeah, I mean, we can we can eat, breathe, and sleep producing, and I think that's really really important um, to just stay in that for us to just stay in that lane and make sure that we can put on the best show that we can possibly put on. Not worrying about how much time I'm going to have on stage. And actually, one last note too is like to your point also that we also have the band, which is also really different as well. And that's another piece I think that kind of comes into play with um, like our two worlds coming together and how that kind of like impacts the experience. Cause a lot of the comics just freak out over the band. They absolutely love it. Cause they've never had that much energy coming onto a stage before. Absolutely. I like to, you know, add that, you know, that was an idea of course by by both of us and and um to ha- to have the band and integrate them like a late night show like as if you watch Jimmy Fallon and the the Roots that's the kind of dynamic that Charlie has with the Fremont Funk band and um and it's kind of full circle because I was able to hire my old musical director for Casey and the Sunshine band I hired him to to musical direct this production so it's it's been so much fun I have I am what do you call it I am very, uh, I get my satisfaction in my fill your you know, bucket. Basically. Yes, I, my yeah, my cup gets full musically <laughs> because we, we yeah. add. You know, I'm a musician first, so we add that music in, and I'm like, okay, that's that's what I do, and then that's where I can actually fulfill that uh, that cup. Yeah, and it's really fun. Yeah, I love that. So you'll have to come to the show when you move here, Anna. Oh yes, don't and I should be in Vegas this year too, <laughs> yeah, so I will totally be coming. I think it's lovely that you um, creating those synergies from the, your skill sets and bringing that flavors into your into your producing and into your shows because that's where you get that kind of, I guess, that unique look on. Okay, well, this is why it's always been done, but I've got this skill set and let's let's bring this in to create a different energy. And in that way, it's like 
creating a show because I think also uh, this, I'd like to also get your opinion on this because again we've all been in our own bubbles for a while do you think that the the shape of entertainment and how it's being done is changing post-COVID? I mean, a lot of people have done hybrid stuff. A lot of people are now with the on advent of things on demand like Netflix and stuff, people wanting more um, entertainment on demand. And do you see that with your audiences or with the way you've got to do things, do you feel like you've had to shift, adapt, or or, or change what you're doing coming out of COVID? No. Not at all. I march by the beat of my own drum. So I, I mean, I watch and see what other people are doing, but I, I do me and, and we do us. And that's sort of my, my thing. I know one thing. We weren't going to put Laugh After Dark as a Zoom show. I do know that um, because it's, it, that's just not, a, not, that's not what I want, <laughs> basically. It's a little, little stale for me. But no, I mean, I just want to make sure that we're, like I said, we're doing the best show, that we're, we're being, um, thinking outside the box. We're, we're, we're doing things that other uh, clubs or other shows aren't doing. We have lots of uh, visual graphics on our show. So I'm just, we're just doing us and we're running it like literally like a late night television show. That's our vision. And we're just, we'll just keep rocking with what we do. Well, I will say though, too, though, it has been interesting with COVID. You do have to be a little bit more agile. And I do think that being in Vegas has been such an amazing, amazing blessing. I don't think we could have done this in LA. LA has been very challenging for production. We looked into it and, you know, there's just so many restrictions that add budget to, you know, the bottom line. And so I will say that Vegas has made it possible for us to do as Robert said, which is be able to just do our thing, which is great. Yeah, to be able to have 150 people in our theater, and it's not we're not we're not a cramped. It's a theater, so it's not a cramped. It's not everybody's. You know, it's a five. I think five to seven thousand square foot uh, theater, so it's not small by any means. But we're able to to put 150 people in. We're able to get those laughs because if there are 20 people in the room, that just doesn't translate very well on on the camera. And um, yeah, Vegas has allowed us to to do those things. Yeah, I think the the. To Vegas's credit, it's it's a large part of its industry is driven by entertainment, right? So they were there definitely on the forefront to try and get back at it as soon as they could, more than perhaps other cities around around the country, because that's what brings the people there, right? And I and I will say Vegas has done a great job on the whole. Like I think they've really had a lot to contend with. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that the state of Nevada is basically the city of Las Vegas, right? There's about 2.5 million people in the state of Nevada and 2 million of them are here in Clark County. And so it really is sort of a microcosm of the country and being such a visible city where so many travelers are coming constantly and that where we depend on that, we depend on tourism and people coming. And so there's been, I think, a lot to balance keeping people safe, keeping people comfortable, keeping people coming. And I will say to, to Vegas's credit, is everything perfect? No, but I do feel like they've tried to make sure that the economy stays working for people, which is really important. I really like that. And I think that's part of the why, probably the reason why you guys, I think it's harder for the big Cirque du Soleil's and the things like that coming out of COVID to try and pivot, remount the costs, everything. So those smaller agile productions that can adapt and and get stuff out there. I love that idea of that because I think that's where, you know, people can be really creative and, and smaller companies can make smaller stuff and be really successful in this. Uh, I'm, you know, like you, Kelsey, I'm, I'm an optimist or an idealist and I think that, like, this is going to 
offer opportunities for people if they're willing to take it um, in this moment coming out of it. Well, no, I say, I say coming out of it. We're really still in the deep in it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> coming out of it. I'm ready to come out of it. <laughs> Psychologically, <laughs> <it> into existence. <laughs> and, and but you know what? I will say this: it has not stopped people from going to see some football. Because man, that Raiders stadium is is, is packed. The sports here, yeah, it's it's a, you know I think it's anything. Sports everywhere. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like it's the, it's like another one of those double-edged swords of COVID where it's like, oh no, keep everyone safe, but let's do sporting events. Like, <laughs> oh, the word ceremony here, but it's okay to do it outside. You know, it's like, oh God, it's so confusing at this point, but it's just like anyone who's blaming anyone at this point, I'm like, can we just stop being mad at each other and blaming? Cause this is confusing for all of us. Yeah. Nobody really knows what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no one. I think you mentioned something that I, I just, my brain brought it back to cancel culture. And now we were a little past that, but the blaming of it and pointing fingers, because I think that might be one of the, I don't know, my brain just brought it together. But one thing is to be able to laugh about yourself and other is just like point a finger and say, this is why it's funny. Like, this is what I don't like, or, you know, I don't know, just, uh, yeah, no, yeah. there's a lot of that and i mean i wake up in the i wake up in the in the you know in the night sometimes like oh no what like why should that be canceled why should that not be canceled why what you know putting it together i get it you know it's a it's one of those things that just baffles me you know if it's if it's not if there's not some klux ku klux klan meeting somewhere uh you know that's in the back green room, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if there are not Klansmen in the green room, can we take a chill pill? <laughs> exactly. You know, there's, you know, yeah, exactly. We could just chill. Yeah. And I think too, something else that when you said that made me think of is that the conclusion I feel like I've come to like kind of getting back even to like, you know, the timeline you guys are speaking of with regards to Trump, you know, in 2016, when that happened, you know, I had a moment where I realized it's not physically possible that 50% of my country is what I think of them right now. Right. And so it kind of hit me and made me realize it's, I'm missing something. I have to be missing something because I'm not understanding half of the people, you know, my neighbors. And so I've gotten to the point where at this juncture in 2022, I actually start, I feel like if we're picking sides, we're all part of the problem. I think the most important thing we could be doing right now is learning how to disagree and learning how to listen, which is why we're so passionate about being anti-cancel culture with our show, because we want to sort of lead by example in that way and just show like, it's possible to disagree. It's possible to be uncomfortable and it's possible to still operate in integrity and be doing good in the world. And so I, I do think that you bring up a valid point when it comes to blaming that we're looking, you know, I think it's Brene Brown says that like the scientific definition of um, blame is offloading of discomfort, that when we're uncomfortable, we want to offload it. And so what that looks like is blame, but really if we can get better at just being like identifying what is it I'm uncomfortable about and get curious about those things and, and dig deeper and ask why, then, you know, again, comedy is a funny thing. It's, it's thankfully it's comedy. We can laugh about it. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it is like, we need it. We need that outlet because all this is heavy. Like this is heavy. Even this conversation, right. is kind of like laced with weight <laughs> and it's nice to be able to just laugh about it. Yeah. And I like to just point out that like, I'm being here in Vegas 
and running the show in Vegas have, it's, it's very different because our crowds are so diverse. I mean, it is, it is wild. You go out there and it's, it's everything. It's a rainbow of everybody. And, you know, they're all there to, and we all laugh and, and they're all there to laugh. And we haven't had anything on our stage that have been, that I felt that was very triggering to our audience. Uh, we've had some very controversial things said on our stage and we all laugh and we all, you know, it's that whole. Maybe not everyone laughs, but that's okay too. Oh yeah. Not everyone, but. <laughs> yeah, but, but your point is valid because, you know, that's the perfect concoction of bringing those, you know, people from Texas and New York and, you know, San Francisco and wherever they're coming from the world to have a weekend in Vegas and maybe experience those things together, if if any, and that's the sort of demographics that come through. And if they're all sitting in your audience, therein lies the opportunity for that understanding people's different opinion and, and, and that sort of thing. I think that's great. Super, super inspiring. Absolutely. I mean, we, I mean, we do, we have, we, we had a party the other day and, you know, you don't, you know, I guess because of this climate, you know, you kind of, you know, in my, as a producer, I think, Oh my gosh, you know, is that party of 20 that's from the Nebraska? Are they going to dig our comedy or our Wyoming? We've had plenty of these, you know, types that you're thinking, Oh, like, are they going to laugh at, at our jokes? You know, are they going to get it? But at the end of the day, nine times out of ten, they come up and they're they're hugging our hugging on our our host and and and, and love, you know and loving the comedy that is that is brought. It's it's you know it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, and and I'm 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 glad that Nebraska and Wyoming can laugh with us. You know, and, and let's them all. You know. I think that I think the perception of Vegas too helps that because you know generally when people go to Vegas it's like throw off the shackles what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas so that people go into that from like I'm open to whatever's going to happen this weekend you know That's true and I think that even that from the get means like when they're entering the city they're going to be a little bit more open than if they're going to see okay. maybe a comedy show in their hometown right surrounded by their mates I think I like that as well it's very That's interesting because I did hear like was was very very interesting is I heard that like Bill Maher said that like most of his shows and you know he's very political and very you know he's got his own his own beliefs out there and stuff he travels in a lot of these red states you know as a as a liberal community he will go out and and do those red states and kill it and it's uh that's very, you know, fascinating to me when I when I heard him say that, you know, and I looked at his tour schedule. I was like, wow, he he definitely's, you know, playing in those <laughs> those those type of states that are which that you would think that are completely against his uh, beliefs, you know, ideology and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But in all fairness, though, I will say that red red sort of right wing people will tend to be a little bit more, I think, you know, freedom of speech oriented. Um, so I think in some ways it kind of makes sense that that group of people, if that's a very high on their value list would be okay laughing at something that they disagree with versus what I feel like I do feel like it tends to be a little bit more left-wing liberal that is doing that sort of reverse. What was it that you said earlier? You said it was like the opposite, um, side of oppression or something like that. You said something very insightful earlier. I thought. (laughs) About intolerance? Yeah. yeah, like the opposite sides of intolerance. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's funny that, isn't it? Oh, my God, it's a really interesting conversation. But we have to, we want to wrap up with our few, you know, final questions. Um, little question, what is it like managing your careers as a married couple? 
<laughs> it's great. <laughs> I can't work with my I husband. I mean, maybe not every couple can do it. <laughs> as, as long as she stays director, everything is like great. I just, uh, what do you want? No, but I mean, there's, there's not, there's, there's not too much because we want the same. In all honesty, we we want the same thing. Laugh after dark is our baby, and I told somebody the other day. I said because of that, parents fight on how they're parenting their child. Right? They we have two different you know parenting styles. Right? But at the end of the day, we can come together and raise this child to the to the best that they can be. And I look at that with laugh after dark. We treat it like just like a like like as if it was our our son or daughter. And um, and that's how we're able to to manage this. We're in it together. There's no, you know, we don't have a power struggle or or any of that kind of kind of deal. No, and it's you know when you think about it too, I I think that if you can find a way to work together, working with your spouse is actually really powerful because who else are you going to have such an aligned vision with, right? Like you chose that person because you value similar things, because you see a similar future, because you want to build together. So. I mean, for us, it's really just brought us closer together in ways that, you know, we didn't even know we needed or were possible before, but it's been really cool getting to honestly just see and respect Robert in a different way than I did when I wasn't working with him directly. So overall, win-win. For well, us. that said, we could have a board meeting at 2.30 lying in bed, but... Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it doesn't get turned off. That probably is the, the problem. You know, that is probably yeah, the biggest draw problem. The line. You know, yeah. No like, meetings after midnight. Yeah, exactly. We're eating breakfast and like, okay, well, you know, maybe get into some serious. I had to put that rule into place this week. I was like, no, 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 it's too late. I'm getting ready for bed. Yeah, I love that. So, what would you say is the your favorite thing about your job? Saturday nights. <laughs> the show is, it's, exhilarating. I mean, you're producers, right? You guys know there's nothing better than the show. Mm. It's so exciting. It makes everything worthwhile and such a payoff. Yeah. I want it to last forever. That feeling I want it to, it's a high for me. I probably get, it's probably a very similar high that the, that the, that the comedians get on stage because I don't want it to, I don't want it to go away. It's very exciting for me. And yeah, I just never, I, yeah. I, and, and because of that, our, 75 to 90 minute show has turned into like two and a half hour show now sometimes sometimes three hours you know because i'll 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 you know we'll throw an extra comic yeah up absolutely or... we, we have a little we have a little crowd that comes a little like a comedy community that will come to the shows just to hang out and um and, and if i'm in the mood i'll be like hey man you want to you want to hit this hit the stage real quick you know and they're like yeah let's, let's do it and that and and i think because of that is the community i love the comedy community. I, I just love this community. And so for me, that's, that's my favorite part. It's just being with the comics, hanging, um, getting their perspectives. It's just a lot of joy having that community. That's all I can say. And that's, I mean, that's when you know you're doing something right, when you can extend a show to two hours or two and a half hours, like, and just keep, and people are like, not, you know. They stay. They, they stay. Long for. <laughs> you, you, know, you, you know the energy is good because it's like that's that's not a normal audience, right? You know the people yeah. are like in and out, especially in Vegas. So like, let me get back to the gambling yeah. table. Let me get back to the thing. So yeah. if they're coming and to, to hang point, out. 
Yeah. Well, and to your point too, that's a benefit to us to not, you know, currently not being in a casino because casinos, their purpose is to get people gambling. So they're very strict on their time, you yeah. know? So it's really cool to really make it about the experience yeah. and not just about, you know, the bottom line or the gambling or whatever. Mm. So if there was one thing that you could change in the industry or the job on the flip side of being your favorite things, what would it, what would that be? More support for comics. I feel like there's a very, like, the more I talk to people outside of the industry, there's a perception of comedians that they're hitting, that they're making it and they're doing so good, you know? And and I feel like one thing I've learned as an artist, as a creative, is that there can be a chasm of a difference between success and money <laughs> or between doing well in your career and doing well, you know, financially. And so... We would just love to, We our intention is to create as many opportunities for growth and development and support and community for, for our community as possible because they work really, really hard. And as we've discussed at length today, comedy is very important. I really do believe that a society that can't laugh at itself is not in a good place. I don't think that's a good place to be in. And so I think it's important that we respect our comics a little bit more and that we treat them that way. Yeah. That's awesome. And you, Robert, same? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. What she says. <laughs> what she said. Exactly. She's such a great communicator, great speaker. And it's like, what? how can I add on to that? There is nothing to really add on. She just preached the word. And that. <laughs> That's I said, awesome. I said, amen. That's it. <laughs> if we were a good team, you just let me talk. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> that's a good marriage right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so just to wrap up again, you already mentioned, but where can people find you? Where can people go see the show? Where can they buy tickets? Uh, how can they reach out? So everything is just laughafterdark.com. That's where you can find everything from how to submit to how to buy tickets to links to the comedy festival. We do have a comedy festival happening October 3rd through 5th here in Las Vegas. It's going to be a combination stand-up comedy and film festival. And we're very, very excited about it. It's our biggest project yet. And we're going to be bringing together the whole comedy community, including, like we said, the film side, bringing up producers and distributors and um, marketing reps and agents and all that kind of stuff. So lots of opportunity. So if anybody's interested in coming, it will be three days of awesome entertainment, including headliners and music and all of it. And if you're interested in submitting, we absolutely um, have submissions open through the end of June and we would love to review your content. With lots of different categories. Awesome. Well, yeah. hopefully a lot of people submit something and many more bite tickets. Um, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's been wonderful to meet you, and I'm really excited to come and see it in, in live in person at some point. Same. Yeah, me too. That's going to be one you. of my first nights out. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. And we'll um, we'll get you all hooked up on the list. Awesome. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only thirty-eight US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at 
www.theaterartlife.com.